Thank you for coming Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I'm so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show, Thank You for Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it. And it is now one of the longest running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming out stories, and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have storytellers share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And this episode is different because we are still recording during the COVID-19 pandemic, which means we are not in studio together using our professional audio equipment, but we are all doing the best we can with what we have. And I am so tickled and and excited about our guests that we have here today. Jake Cornell, he, him, his, is a Brooklyn-based comedian and actor known for his characters such as Melissa Gay Brooklyn Father, and Chef Keith. Check him out on Instagram and TikTok at Jake W. Cornell. Jake, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. How are you? What's going on? What's new? What's shaking? Um, I am, I would say I'm good, all things considered. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I am. I've What's new? I've been, you know, making a bunch of videos and, you know, doing it, running around, doing a bunch of stuff with that. Um, I'm still bartending in East Village. That just started back up. So also now running over into Manhattan more regularly than I used to. Um, It's getting, I'm vaccinated and so is my family. So I got to go see them recently. So Mm. uh, suddenly a lot of (laughs) movements. Just hearing all the things that you're doing. I'm like, I'm tired now. Just like I've gotten so used to not doing anything that like one thing is like, oh, that's my thing for the week. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely like a lesson right now is like building up that New York stamina that I think we all lost a little bit you know, (laughs) it's, it's a lot. Um, okay. So we, uh, we all have multiple coming out stories coming into ourselves stories. And so I'm curious if, uh, which, which one of those you want to share with us? Love to hear it. Um, I can tell my, I'll tell my, or my like OG coming out story to like my family because it's a fun one. Um, so I, my parents divorced when I was like, gosh, I must've been like seven or eight. And it was like, not by any means like an amicable divorce. And um, like a big theme in my childhood was like navigating that divorce. And um, when I started to like realize I was gay and that coming out was going to be a thing, I would probably have to do at some point. Sort of one of like the major things about it that I knew would kind of be a negotiation was like how, I knew when I told my parents that I was gay, the first question either of them would ask was, does the other parent know? Like who got told Mm. first, you know? Mm. Was this a secret that was kept from me and not the other vice versa? Um, And so that was tricky because my parents didn't exist in the same room. They never spent time together. They, you know what I mean? I would go to one one parent's house from school or vice versa. They very rarely interacted back then. Um, Things are better now. But um, back then, not so much. And so um, I had told some of my friends that I was gay um, and was like semi out at school, I guess, but not like by any means fully. Um, But there was a couple of close friends that knew 
Um, I was also someone who was not, um, I, I was accused of being gay a lot and was not like, it was not a big secret in terms of like, I wasn't shocking one. I don't think by saying I was gay, but it was, it was still a big deal for me, obviously. And so, um, I sort of had this, I was, it was my junior year of high school and I kind of like, I, it, the way I remember it is like, I woke up in the middle of the night and like decided like tomorrow would be a really good day to tell your, tell like your parents you're gay. And then I like fell back asleep and sort of like when I woke up, that thought had like cemented, cemented into this way where it was like, I had very concrete, concretely decided I was doing it and it no longer felt like a choice. I was like, so incredibly nervous and scared but it no longer it felt like okay you're doing it today and there wasn't any sort of am I going to do it today I might do it today it felt very factual which uh, I don't really know that I've ever experienced anything like that before or since it was quite strange but I think part of the reason I chose that day was because that was the day I was getting my I was taking my driver's license test Mm. and the way that that the logistics of that were working out was I was going to school for like a couple hours. And then my mom was picking me up from, I was like being taken out of school to go take my driver's test. Um, And, and then I was going back to school and then going, getting picked up and going to my dad's house. And the next day, cause this was, I had just turned 16. So for my 16th birthday, my stepmother my dad's wife was bringing me to New York city to see a play. Mm. Um, and so I kind of think it was, it was like a perfect situation in a few ways because one, it was like, I can tell my mom on the way to this driver's test. And then, and I knew she would be fine. The only person I was really worried about with was with, was my dad. But to be honest, I was quite privileged and fortunate that I knew for me personally, it was nothing sort of like I was going to be disowned or in any sort of true danger. Um, like I, I knew that that was not on the table, which was incredibly fortunate. Um, but I still was like, obviously very, very nervous. And, but I was like, and I knew my dad would probably take the longest time with it. Um, and so I told, and so I thought it would be perfect. Cause I was like, I'll tell my mom on the way to the driver's test. And then which is, and then I'll tell my dad and my stepmom when I get to their house, which is like three hours later, which in terms of how the scheduling of my life worked out, I was like, that's kind of the best anyone's going to get in terms of me telling them at the same time is like a three hour block. (laughs) Um, So I was like, this is perfect. And then I thought what was so great was in the next morning, we were going to see this Broadway play and we were leaving because I I grew up in Vermont. So it it was probably like a six hour drive to New York. So it was like, we were leaving at like, I remember we left before the sun came up. So it must've been like five in the morning. Um, And so I was like, I'm going to tell them I'm gay, go to bed, wake up. And then me and my stepmom are jumping in a car and my dad will be alone to kind of like deal with it. So I go to school, I'm nervous as shit. And then I get picked up. I tell my mom in the car driving to the DMV. She was like, she was like, I love you. I support you. This is an absolutely bizarre time to have told me. Like, in the car <laughs> driving was, like, her main takeaway. But it was, like, totally fine. And then I took my driver's test and passed, got my license, went back to school. And I feel like I, I the day's kind of a blur, but I do feel like people were like, how was your driver's test? And I was like, it was good. I passed. And then to a couple friends, I was like, 
I told my mom I'm gay in the car. And they were like, what? Like, <laughs> and then I, um, so then, yeah, I left school and I went to my dad and my stepmom's house. And when I got there, they were like, hey, like some scheduling stuff got changed around and you're actually going to go to New York with your dad tomorrow. And mm. I was like, motherfucker. Like, I, <laughs> um, can I curse on this podcast? Oh, yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> um, so I was like, I was like, that is not the plan I was looking for. But at that point, I, like I said, I knew the biggest concern that people were going to have, my parents were going to have was like, how long has the other parent known? Mm-hmm. And I already told my mom. So we were like locked in. There wasn't really an option in my mind. So... I told my dad, I think for him, it was a thing that he had probably, like, if I'm being perfectly honest, I would guess that, like, some of his buds had made jokes about it. You know, I was a very effeminate child. Um, And I think that there was, like, I don't think it was a total shock, but maybe kind of like a thing he had maybe hoped wasn't true. He didn't, he was, no one was, like, cruel or angry, but it was definitely, like, an emotional experience telling him and telling my stepmom. Um, and then we, I kind of like went to bed and then in the morning I went with my dad to New York city and it was a six hour car ride. And we, you know, there was definitely, it kind of went in this cycle of like telling, like getting into conversations about it. My dad didn't understand. My dad felt I was, my dad didn't fully understand that being queer in any sort of way isn't a choice. And he wasn't like, I don't want you to be, it's not about you, whether or not you're I don't, it's not, he, he, he was like, it's not whether or not you're gay. It's he believed I was too young to make that decision, which is not how he thinks or believes now. This was, you know, over, te- this is over a decade ago, but, and he, you know, came to kind of understand things in a different light later on. That was how he felt at the time. And so it was really hard to kind of get him to see that like, no, this isn't a decision I'm telling you because it's true whether or not I tell you or not. And it just makes everyone's life easier if I, if you know. So that kind of went back and forth for a while. We ended up going, to, so we ended up going to New York, getting there. We, at some point we decided to just kind of stop talking about it. Cause it was like, it was just making things kind of stressful. So we're just like in New York bopping around. We went to some, we went to some restaurant within five blocks of Times Square. I couldn't tell you what it was. Um, <laughs> but like we ended up the, the, we get to the, the theater and we're waiting, you know, how like at Broadway shows back in the day a year or two ago you would like you know how like to get in you wait in those like long lines Mm -hmm. before they like open the doors to the theater we were in that line and at this point it was like an emotionally exhaustive day and I was like kind of ready for it to be over and I get a phone call waiting in the line I'm like who's and I look down and it the only the person who's calling me is at that point in time the only per the only person a guy who I had like hooked up with was calling me. I was like, why is this person calling me? This is someone I did like community <laughs> theater with in high school. And I answered it and I was like, hi. And he, he was like, are you in line to see this play right now? And I was like, yes. And he was behind us in line by like 10 people. No. And then it was so bad. It was actually so bad. Dubs. And then he came up and like said, hi. And this is someone that my dad knew from community theater. But now with this new information is like, oh, and <laughs> they're like saying, this guy has no idea. I've come out to my dad 15 hours earlier. I truly wanted to turn into dust. Like <laughs> <laughs> that happened. And then we go in and we see the play. And the play we saw was, which is still to this day, my favorite play. It's Equus, which is a play in which at that time, Daniel Radcliffe, who played Harry Potter, takes off all his clothes on stage and has sex with a horse. So <laughs> <laughs> that 
so then, and that's that mo- that scene is the end of Act One. It's like a very, for lack of a less punny word, climactic moment. <laughs> and he <laughs> has sex with this horse. The curtain falls. My dad looks at me and he's like, "Why did you want to see this play again?" Oh, <laughs> it was <no>. so bad. <laughs> It was so bad. Um, and then, you know, from there on, we went, we stayed in a hotel. Um, we ended up kind of like that the next day on the car ride back to New York. I think the comedy of it all and like there had been, I think in some ways it was actually kind of good that we had been forced to do this because by the end of like 36 hours of like uninterrupted interaction, it kind of just exhausted the conversation to the point where he was like, I believe you. I trust you. I understand. I don't get this thing. And, you know, it's been, uh, it was fine ever since. And that was how I came out. Wow. Thank you for, <laughs> sh- thank you for sharing. Yeah. That is, uh, that feels like it's out of a movie. It was, <laughs> it definitely felt that way. And I definitely did not uh, enjoy it. I think coming out was one of the few things in life I would have appreciated to be quite boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so why did you want to see that play? <laughs> um, well, I was like, to be frank, I was obsessed with Harry Potter and at the time. And then, and it was like a very big deal that he was in it mm-hmm. and that he was going to be naked. Like I would be, I would be lying if I said that wasn't part of the interest, but yeah. then I read it because I really wanted to see it. And I, it was, I just really loved that play. Like it's about, have you, do you know anything about it? I don't. It's, it's about it's um the lore of the story of the play is about a teenage boy who is sent to a mental institution because he like pretty brutally mutilates horses in a stable that he volunteers at Mm. um and the the play is told from the the point of view of the doctor who is assigned to kind of figure out why he did this and um basically what it kind of you you work backwards from him doing it to like seeing like his background and it's sort of all about he's raised in this boy was raised in a home where there was he has one parent who's a very devout christian and one who's a very devout um atheist and trying to like reconcile reality with those two opposing ideologies of like everything is about god and then nothing is holy and nothing matters and he sees horses for the first time. And they're such an object, uh, uh, objectively powerful thing that he grows to worship horses like one would worship something religious. And just the journey of it is like, it's just a very beautiful character piece and like psychological study. And the story of it is that the playwright was at a, was at a dinner party and heard a story that someone had, a, a young boy in a nearby village had done this horrible act. And he was like, I want to write a play that makes an audience understand why someone would do that. Mm. And I just think that's such an interesting um, giving humanity to someone doing something really horrible and seeing like, well, what is like the trauma and the psychology that led them to get to that point? It's like a very, it's just a very beautiful uh, story. I think it's dark, but it's good. Wow. Wow. I had no idea, but I think there, there is something so powerful to what you just exactly what you just said of like humanizing like why do bad why do people do bad things and it's 100%. like most likely they've experienced trauma in their life that they haven't addressed and yeah that is the only way they know how to cope it's not excusing it but it's also but it gives information totally and I think that was like I mean I was I was 16 right and I probably read it when I was like 15 so it was kind of leaving behind those Harry Potter-esque Disney-esque stories where someone is kind of evil 
by just because they were like born that way or by like nature of what they are, they are evil. And moving into stories that had like sort of more nuance and more humanity in all the characters, even the bad ones. And I was really, I think getting really drawn to that. And Equus was one of the first ones that I think did that. There's like no villain in that play. It's really just about dealing. And there's like a whole sexuality element that kind of plays into like the, it in a, in a very powerful way. And um, it was, it was, quite the play to see with your father on the day you told him you were gay. I can <laughs> yeah. say that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, I want to, I want to rewind a little bit and I'm, I'm thinking so much about how you, you said you woke up in the middle of the night and just like decided and it was like so clear to you. And you said, you don't know that you've ever even really experienced anything like that since. What do you think it was? Like, did something happen in your day or week or have I a think, dream? Or? I remember thinking like, I think it was more just like, Cause I, th- I think it was maybe that was the point where I had gotten to the point where I was, there was no question that I was gay. Mm-hmm. I was no longer denying it to myself. I had told a few friends. I wasn't um, trying to like repress it and be straight. Like I knew what I was, I, how I felt and what I identified myself as. And I think I just remember having a thought that was sort of, you know, you're never gonna it's gonna be really hard for you to be truly happy if you don't do this Mm. and you're only 16 so like just get it out of the way it was sort of that it was kind of like a very I'm like a very practical minded person in a lot of ways in other ways I'm quite impractical but like in terms of like when I see a like when I see an issue or like some or identify a problem I'm kind of immediately like well what is there to be done about it you know mm-hmm. um, sometimes to a fault like I can I sometimes can't sit in like an anxiety or an uneasiness because I'm like I have to do something about this I have to fix this but I think in that situation it was like okay well I'm in the closet so I have to come out it just sort of like once I really identified it it just felt like the solution to the problem mm-hmm. uh, and that yeah I think that's what it was yeah have you or um had there been like nuggets of moments leading up to that where you like recognized it, but you're like, I'm not ready. Or was it truly just like I mean, in I that did, moment? I think I did. No, I mean, I definitely like, I mean, I definitely had like um, it, experimented with a, a boys a few times. Like I had, you know, hooked up with a couple boys doing theater like doing community theater Uh, what an original um journey for us all but um I had like yeah so I like hooked up with a couple boys um and then like I had like when I was younger and then I had like I think like the like I told one friend once during study hall that I was bisexual and then I like told and then like my best friend who's still my best friend to this day we like came out to each other because we are both gay and um and I had watched like I mean to be frank like I think like I watched gay porn and that I like liked it and I was like okay I think you know what I mean there were so there were definitely like there were it wasn't like I kind of realized it all in one moment but I think it was like once I dropped like there's no like there's no I'm not gonna try to not be this kind of thing like it's not gonna not happen that I was like you gotta just do it mm-hmm. and I think maybe I think the part that I was kind of saying like has never happened before is like the whole like it happened like I, in my I the, I don't really have a, another memory like that memory where I like woke up like kind of half like foggy awake and just decided it mm-hmm. and I can like remember it happening like I have like this weird visual memory of like 
my room like kind of dark and blurry and like thinking like you're gonna come out tomorrow like it just like there's no reason not to it just makes sense like do it and then falling back asleep and then waking up and it almost felt like it had been like assigned like it wasn't Mm. like I had like assigned it to myself it was sort of like locked in um yeah so that part was like quite strange I don't really fully know perhaps it was because of that scheduling thing that like I subconsciously was like tomorrow just like in terms of the calendar really works yeah but um (laughs) yeah I don't really I couldn't fully I couldn't tell you for sure like what exactly was the thing Mm -hmm. that did it um wow I think for me like when I realize certain parts of what I need to do for myself it takes me it depends. I guess it just depends. Like there were like, when I realized I needed top surgery, that was like an immediate, like the second I knew that I needed it, I like didn't mm-hmm. stop talking and thinking about it, but like other things like starting tea, it, I like sat in it for years <laughs> and like, was like, I know yeah. this is a thing, but I was too scared to deal with it. So I don't know. It's interesting how our brains do stuff like that. Totally. I think that like, well, I, th- I think sometimes it's like, and you would know more about these experiences than I would, but things that have a more clear cut, like I will tell my parents I'm gay and then I will be an openly gay man, or I will have top surgery and alter like the way my, my chest looks, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But like something like tea has much more nuance to it. Like you don't know how you're going to there. I mean, there's like obviously predictors of what it's going to do, but like your personal experience with it is going to be different than anything. So things that have more of like a, a wide reaching nuanced, complicated, un with more unknowns than it kind of affect I think those are so much harder to jump into you know what I mean yeah yeah I I think like starting a job is easier than quitting a job because when you start a job you know what you're going into but when you're quitting a job and you don't know where you're going Mm. there's more unknowns you know yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense I yeah because like for for top surgery I was like it it was like a really big deal of course but it felt Mm -hmm. like if you didn't know that I had it, you wouldn't necessarily know that it was something that I went through uh-huh. versus like tea is like very, I mean, if it's you're if someone who knows me, yeah, it's like my voice is clearly, clearly deeper than it was. And yeah, totally. my, my different hair popping up is like different than what it was. And so, and my body shape looks different too. So mm-hmm. it's, but yeah, so that's a really good point. I've never thought of it in quite that way. So did your, I, I might've missed this if you said it, but did the like timing of you told your mom first come up? I mean, I was right in the sense that like the first question both of them asked was like, which parent, like, does dad know? Does mom know? When mm-hmm. did you tell them? Um, and I think <clears throat> I said, to, I, th- I told my mom, I'm telling dad tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I told my dad and stepmom, I was like, I told my mom an hour ago. So, I, and I think like, I kind of was like, I would have told you all at the same time, but you don't do that. You're not in the same room. So, <laughs> right. Um, I, and I, I don't think they could really argue with that because it was absolutely true. Mm. So, yeah. And I wasn't going to like call a meeting and be like, everyone needs to be in the same, like the thought of doing that even now, however many years later makes me feel nauseous. Like the, like, and if some people, if that's how some people want to come out, I don't want to like shame anything, but like the idea of calling a, a council to like tell <laughs> yeah. everyone um, in terms of my family makes me feel queasy. Mm, yeah I I definitely did not do that for coming out as gay when I was 20 but I definitely did that essentially when I was like I'm trans (laughs) I was like attention everybody you need to know this information now (laughs) yeah totally (laughs) I I also 
Yeah, sorry. You oh, go. no, no, please go ahead. Oh, I was like, um, I also think that like something like that, that I just think traditionally is not going to be as easy. There's more questions and there's less understanding generally on the receiving end. It's like, mm-hmm. let me do this, the emotional labor of this all at once with everyone yeah. in the same room so I can just do it and then be as done with it as I can be for now. Yeah, essentially that's pretty much it. Um, so you, so you told your mom in the car and she's like, this is bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Um, was there a particular, besides just like the timing and the assignment to yourself, mm-hmm. was there a reason that you chose to do it in the car? It would, that was purely like, like I genuinely, I don't remember. It was either that I was going to tell her in the morning and chickened out and was like, I'll tell her in the car. Or it was that I thought the car is even closer to the time I'll tell my dad. So it's even less of a window between the two. Mm. So that's like even better. Mm. It had nothing to do with the car. It was, all of it was like, I sound like my entire personality is like an executive assistant running a Google calendar. But it's like, (laughs) it was very much like administrative, like the timing of this works out well. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Um, I told my the first, the second person I ever told was my sister and that was in a car and I did that specifically. So I, and I was driving, so I wouldn't have to look at her. So I didn't have to make eye contact. I could just like be in my own like concentration, like lane literally. Um, And that was a way to like, almost like protect myself of like, I'm scared to tell people and look them in the eye. Interesting. (laughs) I wasn't driving. I was in the passenger seat. That's so interesting though. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that's true. Um, I, and I, so as a, as a comedian, I don't love when people are like, you should put this in your stand up and you should write a sketch about this, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> but I, cause I think a funny character would be like calling counsel. To like yeah, no, that's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. I love that. Um, I also really just, I'm, I'm so intrigued by the fact that you told friends in high school and like trusted that they wouldn't tell people what what was it about your friendships or about these specific people that you knew that you could trust them because I was I loved my friends and still love them I'm still friends with them but was terrified to death to tell them because I just didn't know how they react so how did you know that it was safe um I mean it was like my best friend who was also gay. So it was like mutual assured destruction. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. We weren't going to out each other. And we, he and I have, I mean, we hang out multiple times or we talk multiple times. We can hang out every week to this day. So we've been friends for we're like what, 17 years. We've just been like very, very close for a very long time. And granted this was earlier on in our friendship, but I just think we both kind of were like, connected in a way where it was like we kind of just came out to each other and we didn't make a big deal about it either one it was kind of just like are you you two okay cool and then we like moved on like it was like it wasn't this like big thing for either of us in in the sense that like it it didn't like define I don't know that it like redefined our friendship by any means but it was just like a nice way of testing the waters of telling someone I guess um and I, I I didn't tell a ton of friends I think I told like I remember I told my friend Bailey, she was very into read. I think because she was very into reading like lesbian YA at the time. So mm-hmm. She's probably down. Like, I think <laughs> I just took context clues um, mm-hmm. from people um, in general, but I don't, 
I, yeah, I don't, I, it wasn't, it also wasn't that long of a time. I wasn't out to my friends for super long before I told my parents, mm-hmm. I think because I mostly just found it like annoying. Yeah. I was like this, I don't, you know. Yeah. So once you told your parents, were you kind of more open about it at school? Yeah, I remember like the night that I told my parents going upstairs and updating my Facebook to say interested in men. And Mm. that felt like just like putting it on because I just to be like, it's done, you know, like it's over. I I very like distinctly remember doing that. Um, And like I said, it was the kind of thing where people people were calling me gay and saying I was gay before like I even knew what gay was. So it wasn't this big secret that I needed to reveal. It was more like, I don't remember anyone being like, oh my God, Jake, you're gay. It was like, oh, you came out. Congrats. Which like, I remember finding kind of patronizing at the time because I was, which was annoying. But um, that's more how I remember experiencing it rather than any sort of shock or revelation from anyone. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah, no, it was good. (laughs) Overall, it was a pretty smooth experience and also like I just became a happier better person after like those Mm. those years of my life post or those years of high school post are so much more joyful and I like the person I was so much more like so Mm. infinitely much more after I came out than who I was before yeah yeah you earlier you said it's going to be really hard to be truly happy and I wrote that down because that really Mm -hmm. stuck out to me of like you know, it's like when, as LGBTQ people, I obviously can't speak for everybody, but in the, all of my experience of talking to people, it's like, there is this shift once you're able to like, come out or affirm who you are, because there's so much energy goes into either like repressing or suppressing or hiding in mm-hmm. some cases as protection and needed. Um, but then, you know, once you're in a place that it's safe, um, there's so much more space to be happy and so much more space totally. to just like show up authentically and it's beautiful. Yes. 100%. Yeah. Um, so I want, I want to, I am obsessed with your TikTok videos because they are <laughs> so fucking funny. And also like, they're also like a commentary on people's disgusting behavior especially through the <laughs> pandemic <laughs> so like what what first like even just like backing before tiktok like what what got you into comedy what's your favorite kind of comedy um what's your comedy history journey um interesting que- good question um like <laughs> i guess what it it's i my journey with comedy is that i've always liked comedy like i watched I wasn't like an SNL nerd when I was a kid, but I definitely did have like certain SNL sketches when I was a teenager in high school that me and my friends loved. And I definitely liked funny movies and I definitely watched a lot of TV, but I also watched a lot of like drama too. I didn't think of myself as a comedian for a very, very long time. When I was in college and I found out about UCB, like I found out about UCB because I was watching a lot of, film and TV and looking up who the people were in it and being like, where, and then being like, and seeing UCB as like the common denominator, the common denominator of where these people were coming from. And then I looked into it and was like, oh, it's not, and granted UCB is expensive, but compared to how much I was paying to go to college and how much a grad school program would have cost. And like, also I had no concept of money at the time because I was 
living off of student loans in college. But like, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, $400, I can do that. So then I kind of just decided to take UCB classes after college. And it was less, but I wasn't thinking of it like, I want to go do comedy. It was actually just like improv itself that was interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And then through the classes and over a while, I started, I remember like realizing oh, these people are comedians. Like, there are some people that are actors taking this, but these people, like, the first word they would describe themselves as is a comedian, you know, a comedy writer, a stand-up, whatever it is. Like, they're comedians. And I was like, is that... So it sort of felt like... And I think people were just assuming that that's what I was or wanted to be because I was there. And I kind of remember spending some time being like, is that what I... I don't know. Like, I genuinely don't. Um... And I didn't for like a long time, but I just, I enjoyed improv. So I kept doing that. And I, I've always enjoyed, you know, watching, you know, watching and consuming comedy and going to comedy shows. But like, to be perfectly honest, like I didn't start doing my own stuff that really felt like my own voice on my own, something that wasn't improv based on a team. Like the first thing that like making stuff that feels like my own, my POV, my like own creative voice like is my videos that I started making last year like that's kind of the beginning of it in terms of like me as a comedian putting stuff out I feel I've done like stuff here and there kind of like experimenting but I didn't that's like where I kind of was like oh okay this is like what this is stuff I really like doing um so that's kind of like I would say like my comedic journey Mm -hmm. um I like I like a lot of different kinds of comedy like I wouldn't say like I, um, I, 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 I'm drawn to like one specific kind. I don't enjoy mean comedy. I don't think like that many people do. I don't really enjoy the whole like fucking with people brand of comedy. It doesn't really like ring true to me. I understand like I get, I get it. Like I get why people perceive it as funny, and some people find it funny, but like it's just not for me. So like those kind of like really like cerebral prank shows and stuff. Those aren't always for me. Yeah. But like, um, I do, I enjoy like, but like, honestly, everything else I'm kind of down for. I like it at all. I'm not a super picky or discerning person. Like if (laughs) I'm being honest, I don't have that highbrow of taste. I like it all. Um, I definitely found like, you know, broad city really, really inspiring. Lennon Parm and Jessica St. Clair were probably the two comedians Mm -hmm. that first made me look into comedy like that, those are probably the two that made me go find out about UCB. So like, they were really, really huge for me. Um, and then, you know, like, honestly, like some of the Queens from RuPaul's Drag Race, it kind of runs all over the place in terms of like comedians. And then like, kind of people who were around when I was still figuring out my own voice that are like, even my age, but kind of watching them, you know, like, like Bowen or Joe Castle Baker or like Mitra Juhari, these people who I kind of met and saw, they were like my age, but they kind of more clearly, I think, knew like what they were doing and what they were interested in. And like watching them, I was like, oh, okay. Like you, you can, it was very, like, that was all very inspiring to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So wait, for, for Jessica and Lennon, were that, was that before or after, is it playing house? That was their show together. No, so they actually had a show before Playing House on NBC called Best Friends Forever. Oh. That only, that only got six episodes. Mm. Um, but it was phenomenal. It was, like, so good. Um, I still rewatch it, like, like, maybe every year, year and a half. Um, and it was, like, the, it was, like, the end of Playing House. So, like, 
playing house. So like in playing house, it's like in playing house, it's like that Lennon is pregnant and her husband leaves her and Jessica goes and helps her. Mm-hmm. And like in best friends forever, it was that Lennon is like happily like dating someone and they've just moved in together. And Jessica's husband like abruptly divorces her and Jessica has to go move in with Lennon and her boyfriend. So it was like mm. the inverse premise. Mm. Um, and it only got six episodes, but it took place in New York. And it just, it was like a really, it was that show really had their own voice in it. I felt, which wasn't really like during that would have been like, I get, if I had to guess, I would say that show aired in like, early, like maybe mid season 2012, like January, February, 2012. And it was like, most of the comedy that was out right then and there wasn't super like women voiced and like this show is very much like their own voice and I really resonated with it because I think I grew up a lot around a lot of women Mm -hmm. um and I really really connected with it and that so that was like a huge one for me Hmm. yeah that's cool um I remember I watched Playing House when it came out so I don't like super remember but I remember thinking it was really funny and really liking it totally um what were some of the SNL sketches that you and your friends loved? Um, uh, I loved, I used to love um, Penelope, the Kristen Wiig character. Mm. She was really big mm-hmm. for me. Um, the old, the, when they used to do the view with like Fred Armisen, Kristen Wiig, um, Keenan, I used to love, um, oh God, what was the other one? Oh, I used to love, I mean, like some of them don't age well, to be perfectly honest. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, I used to really love the, like a lot of Cecily Strong's characters when she first started, Girl You Wish You Didn't Talk To at the Party. That was more, that was a little bit later. That was in college, but like that, um, that was a character I really loved. Me and my friends at work used to do that. Like we would do impressions of her all the time. Um, yeah, those were big ones. Stif- like good old Stefan really loved. Mm. Yeah, lots of yeah. stuff like that. A lot of update characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ugh. There, you know, SNL really hits or misses. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, I, the, the ones that me and my friends would quote the most were like older ones with like Will Ferrell and mm-hmm. Chris Farley and um, like Dana Carvey. Mm-hmm. Um, just trying to think. I'm just like the, yeah. an Adam Sandler. <laughs> and, totally. I never was someone who uh, watched it like, because my family isn't big like my parents weren't big SNL watchers, honestly. Mm-hmm. I think they were maybe before I was born. Cause like my mom does, will ever okay, occasionally reference like a Farley character or something. Mm-hmm. But like when I was younger, it wasn't like my parents were like watching SNL at 11 and I wasn't allowed to stay up that late. And like, it wasn't until high school really that you could watch the clips on YouTube. Oh yeah. So I think that was, and like on maybe like early Hulu. And so it was like when that kind of started that I started to sort of check out stuff. So I didn't see the old stuff until much later when I went back and watched a lot of it. And I still, honestly, if I'm being perfect, like I haven't seen a lot of the old stuff. Mm. Um, Highly recommend. I have them on VHS tapes, like the best, the best of Will Ferrell, Chris Farley. And I'm like, oh my God. And then I got them all on DVD and I'm like, all right, relax, (laughs) look on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, okay. So so you are finding your voice in these TikTok videos. So what, what was like your first inspiration and how did you figure out that this is something that you're extremely talented at and it's so good and Thank everyone you. should follow Jake immediately if you aren't already. Um, I think it was that I hadn't, um, I had been viewing my, 
my work life and like certain like I had kept my work life and my comedy life very very separate um like I had my first when I moved to New York I was also considering being a restaurant professional that was like a thing I was very seriously considering and I worked for like a very well-known very established restaurateur in his group and it was like absolutely hell and I left and like it took me a while to find a job that worked and get things to kind of settle and figure all that out. And so, and I felt like you couldn't, I, I don't know. I felt very, I kept my restaurant work and my, that side of my life very separate from my comedy and stuff. And I think that was part of why it took me so long to um, find my voice was because I wasn't, I like wasn't fully integrating all of myself into trying to do comedy or trying to like, do anything creatively because I had like this half of my life that I kept separately and I kind of would like turn off that part of myself to go do one and then turn off and do the other Mm. um and then I kind of that the pandemic I think stopped that I kind of it slowed down I was spread so thin before the pandemic I was doing like a psychotic amount of UCB I was doing a, a really intense amount of restaurant work as well and Like I just had, I had no free time and I was just kind of taking off a hat, going like doing one thing, putting on a new hat, doing another, like switching hats and never really like staying. I was like, so I, I, I was not present minded. I was like on autopilot. I was just Mm -hmm. like going through and doing things. And it was me, I was, I wasn't like a miserable person. I was happy, but I wasn't like, I, it was not possible to be creative. I don't think. And then the pandemic and this all like forced me to slow down a little bit and things felt less separate. I had more free time. I had more time with myself to think and kind of I did, like take things in. So like, um, and so, the, and also just like gain some perspective, I think on like what was important and what mattered. And so when I started working again and, you know, the world, I just, I think I, I started making videos about, working in a restaurant during the pandemic and like the people I was seeing as sort of a way of just laughing about it and processing and just for something to do I hadn't performed I was performing a lot of I was performing live a lot before and I just wanted to do something funny and fun again but making it about you know what I was going through and it like works people liked it and then Mm -hmm. I just kind of kept going from there it was pretty organic it wasn't like um it wasn't like a ton of forethought that went into it. I was like, Oh, like, let me do this. I've always been like, I always, like, I'm never, I was never good at homework. I was always good at tests. Like, I think it's why I liked improv so much is because there wasn't homework. I could just show up and do it. Um, maybe like to a fault. Um, mm-hmm. But like, so I, and I kind of approach my comedy like that now. Like, I mean, I do like, I write it and stuff, but I don't like, I kind of get an idea and then I really want to like start filming it and write it in the filming process and like write it in the editing process and just jump into it and kind of finding that process has been really fun and helped me kind of, you know, find my voice. And the other great thing about TikTok, like more so than Instagram is you can kind of just, you can, there's a little bit more room to experiment. Like it's not as like, I don't know if you post something on Instagram and it like doesn't, it, nothing really goes with it. Like no one really interacts. It kind of feels like, mm, okay, that's not great. But when you do it on TikTok, it kind of just feels like it flies out into the ether. At least that's how like I feel. And it's not really the end of the world, especially when I was starting. 
And so I found, you know, I could try things out and be like, oh, this worked, this didn't work. Sometimes something I did not expect to work at all really worked. And then I kind of could analyze that. So TikTok was honestly a huge tool in me kind of also figuring that out. Hmm, that's so cool. Yeah. So when you, how long, so for a, right, uh, a 60 second clip, what would you say your average is like beginning to end your process? How long would that take? It depends on what kind of video it is. If I'm doing something that's more of like a kind of almost like a TikTok version of like a stand-up bit where it's just like me talking to a camera and saying some funny stuff, like that's pretty quick. Honestly, I can use an auto caption app for that, um, which will caption it. And then I just have to edit those captions. Mm -hmm. And I'll probably do like, I mean, some, I think a couple of times I've gotten it on the first take, but maybe I've done a few takes. Like those are like, in terms of bang for your buck time versus what you how much like positive reaction you can get those can be pretty phenomenal um because mm-hmm. they're really fun and just quick i'm just, just me talking the ones where it's like a character and it's written and there's beats you know there's probably the filming of it i'm filming one of them after this um like mm-hmm. the filming of it can take depending on like how well it's going you know it can be really quick it can be you know 10 minutes it can go up to like half an hour an hour um, the captioning of those, because I don't auto caption those, I like manually caption them and want to time it up like with the jokes and make sure it all looks good. And like the, um, the like way you caption on TikTok is it's nice. Cause it allows you to really customize the captioning, but it also is, um, very tedious. There's no like fast or efficient way to do it. It's kind of like painstakingly tedious. Um, that can take a while. So sometimes the captioning takes like, and I'm getting, as I've done it, it's like gotten faster. I've like kind of learned the musicality of it. When I first started, it would be like, this took me 15 minutes to record in an hour to caption. But now mm-hmm. it's like, it's a little bit less. Like I can caption them pretty quickly, but I would say captioning usually takes at least like 20 minutes. Wow. That's, yeah. I have like maybe 10 videos on TikTok and I just, the cap, the, right. The captioning was like, I don't want to do this anymore. It wasn't to me, like the payoff wasn't worth, but you have thousands and thousands and thousands of people interacting. I had like a couple hundred and I was like, this isn't, I love you, but this isn't worth it. No, totally. No, totally. Yeah. It's like, it's not. And that's, what's like hard about TikTok is like, there's no, it's so at the whim of like the algorithm and the audience, like you just never know like what's going to go and what's not. And sometimes the thing you worked so hard on is like just absolutely flop. And then the thing that's just like a complete toss of whatever is like, gets a million views. And you're like, that's not what I thought was going to happen. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have a favorite character that you do? I've been really enjoying the gay dad in Brooklyn character I've been doing recently. Mm-hmm. Um I kind of usually, I kind of cycle through characters. So like, I feel like I really find, I like will find a character and do them for a while and then kind of move on to a new one and then maybe bring like an old character back. Um, but I've been, re- and so I usually am kind of really obsessed with like the character I've been like in for a little bit and like the gay Brooklyn dad character who I've been doing for like a month now, I like really enjoy. That's really funny. <laughs> um Okay, so I have one last question, um, and then I'll move us into our last um, section. Actually, it's two quick questions. The first Great. one is, um, do you remember that I was on your podcast? Your yes, voice is so I do. funny. <laughs> that was I do. so long ago. That was so long ago. Um, may, may that podcast rest in peace. <laughs> I know. What was, the, what was the inspo for that, for that podcast? I think that was like me. It was a mixture. I think like I just wanted to do something. Like I was... 
I think that happened. I don't remember the exact timing of it because it was like you said, it was like years ago. Yeah. But I think it was like I was at UCB. I had I wasn't on a team, so I didn't really have my own like projects going on. And maybe I had just kind of, I feel like that was probably right around when I had just kind of settled into the restaurant job I had been, that I was at for like four years. That kind of was, it was like the situation where like the money wasn't great, but like the schedule was actually really easy. So then I could do stuff around it. And like, um, I did that for years. And I think once I settled into that and I had a little bit more free time, I like was kind of hungry to like do projects and stuff. Yeah. And I think it was just a project. It was like one, I was really enjoying, that was like when, it was like that was honestly kind of early in like the podcast boom like podcasts were definitely like a thing but it certainly wasn't as intense as it is now mm-hmm. and I think I just wanted to like talk me and Kate wanted to just talk with other gay comedians and I think shamelessly for me I just wanted to kind of hear what other people were doing how they got here because like mm-hmm. I said I didn't come to New York being like I'm gonna be a comedian and I didn't even take classes at UCB being that way so then once I started to consider that as being like a way to kind of like a creative route I was like wanting to talk to other comedians. And I think the podcast was like, frankly, a little bit of an excuse to do that. Yeah. I mean, same for me. I just, I totally. love talking to people. So it's yeah. like, it's great. Let's just record it and see what happens. Yeah. Um, that's great. I love that, that you're able to find an outlet in that way. Um, yeah. Um, I remember my last question is about your queer therapy show. I, I think it's such a, as. Uh, an incredible format so I'm wondering if you don't mind just saying quickly what that is and what inspired that and also if you're planning on bringing that back once we're not in a pandemic anymore yeah so Queer Therapy Live was a show I produced and hosted in New York Um, it was um, the way it would work was I had um, a it was a comic like a comedy variety show so it was mostly comedic acts with usually a couple like maybe a musical act or something like that in there as well and there was always a presentation that was kind of almost like ted talky style from a queer mental health professional about queer like how queerness and mental health intersect mm-hmm. um and so they would give kind of like this ted talky thing and it was like really informative and then the, the comedians and performers would do whatever they wanted um the, all the proceeds for the show went to a charity um involving queer mental health and it was just super fun like it was overall it was really really fun um uh what inspired it mm-hmm. I mean I had been I used to be a counselor for a crisis hotline for queer mental health and so I was like doing a lot of work in that and like it was I mean it was volunteer but I was like doing a lot of work in that world and like um wanting to kind of do something connecting my, like the comedy world to that and I was like, well, I kind of just thought like, oh, I could produce a show that was like a fundraiser for this. No problem. Um, and I think, again, like maybe that theme of like selfishly just wanting, I was like, these, I would love to hear queer mental health professionals speak about queer mental health because at that nonprofit, I was working with and meeting so many queer mental health professionals. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I was like, oh, it's so, I was like, you guys are so valuable because you are, to just bring the intrinsic queer perspective to the mental health world and talk about psychiatry, psychology, and research with, like, queerness in mind, and not, and, and, you know, we all bring in biases into whatever work we're doing, and obviously science tries to weed out as many biases as possible, but I think having, you know, people of color, you know, people of other, like, like, all different, all different sexualities in science and in those fields to make sure that those biases are less and less, like, pervasive, 
um, is like so important. And that was like, I really learned that there. And so I thought it would be really fun to hear those POVs at a show. And it was like the, the, um, the presentations were super interesting. Mm. Um, I would, I mean, it's funny that I actually like live theater is like just and like a comedy show. I guess it's actually not that far away now, hopefully knock on wood, but like, yeah. I actually, I have not truly thought about it once since the pandemic like it just but I I would absolutely like it was a really cool and fun show and I have a lot more I mean I in some regards I'm I mean I'm busy but I could bring it back I think like that would be really fun so maybe yeah Mm. (laughs) I think it's just such a great premise and idea and if you if and when that happens if you want to do a collaboration with thank you for coming out um oh yeah I would so be so so into co-producing that with you cool amazing um all right so I don't want to do this, but I have to move us into our last segment, which is a lightning round of questions. Um, okay. All meant for fun. Um, no right or wrong answers. Just whatever first comes to mind. Um, if you could name your own crayon, what would you name it? Oh, um, okay. It would be like, it would be a green. Am I also saying what the color is? Or whatever you want. Yeah. Okay. It's like a green that's like not it's like brighter um it's like brighter than an, an a, a forest green but darker than like a lime green mm. and it would be called minty olive love it great perfect <laughs> <laughs> favorite time of day oh this is so easy my favorite like out my favorite thing ever is in the summer the mo- moment like that time when the sun has gone down but it's not dark yet and it's kind of bluish blue gray outside mm. and the temperature drops like like seven to eight seven to ten degrees that is my favorite time of day that's beautiful i love that um favorite current queer media representation Ooh, um um there are so it has to be tiktokers i can't like there like it has to be all of the people on tiktok like the way the barrier to entry to like get a huge platform and speak like from experiences I'm blanking on every single person's username right now but all of like the the amount I've learned as a person about transness through TikTok the amount I've learned about other experiences through TikTok I would it would just have to be like the TikTok platform across like is really wonderful for that Mm, that's amazing everyone sign up for TikTok um (laughs) (laughs) a song that makes your heart soar so many but for some reason I was I the only song that can come to mind right now I've been listening to her a lot recently would be um Someone to Call My Love Again by Janet Jackson Mm. I've been listening to a lot of Janet recently nice uh favorite way to travel Ooh, I like I like I like I've grown to like flying I went through a phase of hating flying and now I like it. Mm-hmm. Same Z's. Uh, favorite quote. Favorite quote. Um, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. Um, oh my God. <laughs> um, I love in, I I love in Broad City, there's a scene where um, Abby and Alana, like the whole part of the plot is that Alana's trying to get her taxes done and they go to some accountant who like 
gets upset with them because she doesn't understand that she has to pay the accountant Mm. and he and he gets like really inordinately angry with her and yells at her and she just goes oh my god who yells and i just (laughs) think that's so funny like (laughs) that is very funny there's a uh there's i have this with okay i'll ask a last my last question and then i'll go back to broad okay gorge um bagels or donuts um bagels 100 percent, no question great perfect answer um so broad city i loved it so much that at one point i like hate i i was mad at it because i was like this is so funny yeah this is so relatable and i love you both so much i actually stopped watching it because i like oh my god that's so funny hurt yeah (laughs) and so that i like revisited it during the pandemic and like finally finished it that i hadn't i hadn't even finished i had like two seasons um and it's so good and there's a scene where they are um getting i forget which one of them is getting rid of a couch and they're Uh and then they were gonna get rid of it and they decided not to but it was on the truck and so they like ride the truck and then they're, but they were going to go to a concert and then there's just this scene. It's so stupid. Oh my God. And they bring the couch to the concert. They bring the, the couch to the concert. But like there's the scene right before that where Abby's like, is there a world in which yeah. we bring the, and it's just like the way that she delivers it is so yeah. ridiculously perfect that I just, I've watched that 30 second clip 1 million times That's and, I'm, so and funny. I'm obsessed with it that's um, so great anyways uh broad city Ugh. yeah um the best jake your voice is so funny oh thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for being here and for sharing and you're just you're a you're a dream and a light and i appreciate oh, you thank you you are too thank you for having me it means so much yeah this thank so you fun. and thank you for coming out thank you for coming out hey everyone it's your host dubs weinblatt Thank you so much for listening with an open heart and an open mind. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please do so so you don't miss an episode. And don't forget to rate and review us. It really helps. And we want to hear from you. We want to know your coming out story. Head on over to Thank You For Coming Out's Instagram page at Thank You For Coming Out and click the link in our bio. There's a form there where you can submit your coming out story either anonymously or with your name. And you can have the chance to hear your story read out on the Thank You For Coming Out podcast. We're so happy that you're part of our community and we want you to know that your story matters. Thank you for coming out.